The views and discussion expressed on this program do not necessarily represent those of the hosts of the program. WMKV, Maple Knoll Communities, WLHS, the Lakota Local School District, or staff and management. The information and advice presented are educational in nature and not intended to be taken as specific legal, accounting, or other professional advice. Always consult with your own legal, accounting, or other professional before making any investment. Welcome to Real Life Real Estate Investing, a show to help you gain financial freedom by investing in real estate. Brought to you by the Real Estate Investors Association of Cincinnati and the Ohio Real Estate Investors Association. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing on WMKV, WLHS, and the Maple Knoll Radio Network. And now your host, Vena Jones-Cox. Good afternoon. I am Vina Jones-Cox, and this is Real Life Real Estate Investing, your nation's public radio source for the information and inspiration you need to start or grow your own real estate investing business. And what a great business it is. I understand Donald Trump mentioned today that if the, or mentioned sometime this week, that if the market turned south again, like it is it is bound to do. We're bound to have some sort of pullback here in the in the prices and speed of the market that he would he would go out and buy real estate, which seems like a very logical thing to say. And then he got trounced on by Elizabeth Warren for being an evil capitalist for wanting to buy when prices were low and not when they were high. And that is of course how the real estate business works, right? We buy when other people are selling and sell when other people are buying and Today, I'm here to answer your questions about that. It's question and answer week here on Real Life Real Estate. And uh, that means there is no prepared um, presentation. I don't have a guest in the studio. Mike and I can chat if y'all want. We're talking about maybe doing some dating advice or something a little bit earlier. Um, But uh, if you don't ask questions, there is no show. You can do that two ways. You can give us a call at 877-772-9658. That's 877-772-9658. You can also go to our website. The website is realliferealestate.com, realliferealestate.com. At the top of that website, there is a button that says, ask Vina a question. If you click that button and fill in the question and say where you're writing from and who you are and hit send it'll come over here via email and this is um this is this is not me begging because it's un- it's unseemly it's unseemly to beg on public radio but i got the notification out about the show uh about five minutes ago so um i am begging you if you have any questions that uh, have been bugging you about the real estate investing business or uh, how to find deals, find tenants, price properties, whatever you would like to know, 877 or go to com and send your question in that way. Because although I do have a few archived questions here that folks have asked over the last uh, month or so that didn't seem to fit in with any other uh of the guests we had Uh, there aren't a bunch of them and we are going to i'm going to run out of them uh fairly quickly here 877-772-9658 or realliferealestate.com are the 
way to get a hold of us here. Um, question here from Jerome. This one actually came in in April and just has not has not found a place yet. Um, and the question is very simple. It says, is there really a way to acquire property without cash or credit? And the answer, Jerome, is yes, there are in fact several ways to acquire properties without cash or credit. However, if you don't have cash or credit, you had better have knowledge. <laughs> there's, there's lots of people, lots of people are able to run out and buy properties because they have money and they don't have perhaps all the knowledge that they should about how to value those properties or what to do with them next. Um, and so they are sort of dangerous to themselves in the sense that uh, unless they have some some very good advice from people who do have the knowledge, uh, they will often overspend on properties. You are not going to have that problem, Jerome. You are not going to go overspend on a property if you don't have money and or the ability to borrow money to put into it. So what you need to have is um, education about the various forms of owner financing and of private financing. And there are literally a dozen uh, by the time you get into all the variations, ways to buy any kind of property, house, single family, multifamily, commercial property, without using your cash and credit. Uh, one quick example would be if you have a seller who would be willing to take his uh, purchase price in payments instead of needing it all in cash up front. That is kind of your traditional seller finance deal. Another example would be get a partner who has cash or credit who will team up with you and split your profits with you. If you go back into the Real Life Real Estate archive at realliferealestate.com, uh, there's podcasts there going back, I don't know, ages and ages and ages, and you'll find a number of programs with experts like Chris McClatchy and Jillian Stody and Sean McCluskey and folks who uh, talk about these methods more in depth. But if the if if the question that you have is, is this for real? The answer is yes, it is for real. Somebody's money and credit is going to go into it, but it doesn't have to be yours. It can be the seller, a private lender or a partner. So thank you very much for your question, Jerome, and for your patience in getting it answered. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing. It's question and answer week here on Real Life Real Estate. If you have any question about real estate investing, either give us a call at 877-772-9658 or go to our, real, our, our website at realliferealestate.com, fill in the Ask Me Not Question button and send it on over via email. We'll be back right after this. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. It's the last Wednesday of the month, which is almost always question and answer week here on Real Life Real Estate. It's also the day before my vacation, so I didn't get the notification out to our listeners who are subscribed at realliferealestate.com until like almost after the show had already started. So usually I walk into the program with a dozen questions that people have asked by going to realliferealestate.com today, I had two. So this would be like an awesome day for you to brave up and give us a call at 877-772-9658. 
or send your question in by going to the website at realliferealestate.com. You'll see from there how to ask it. Uh, we're going to go ahead and go to line one, Tim calling from Cincinnati. Tim, welcome to Real Life Real Estate. Thank you. I was wondering uh, about investing in a duplex where the owner would live in half the building. If there's any pitfalls that we should really watch out for, and if there's anything specific for investing in that type of real estate in the southwestern part of Ohio. Well, I think I think that is a really good arrangement for folks who can stand to live with their tenants. I mean, it's got it's got it, it is often the case anymore with interest rates as low as they are that your tenant pretty much pays your entire mortgage payment for you. And, right. and uh, you know, that still leaves you with some expenses. You still, you know, you're still paying all of the taxes, all of the insurance. The insurance will be slightly higher than it would be if it were a similar size single family home uh, because of the presence of the tenants. Um, you may have some utilities that you pay on behalf of the tenants, but you can live so cheaply that way. And in, and in a three family or a four family as well, that particularly... I'm surprised it's not it's not a bigger thing with uh, young couples just starting out. You know these these right. these kids that are they're renting at twelve hundred and fifty dollars a month because they quote can't afford to buy because they've got all the student loan debt and sure. <laughs> and a two family almost can't afford not to buy if you if you bought it correctly. Now the the downside oh and there's some there's so you are going to need Tim to talk to your tax advisor about how to treat this for tax purposes because you right. you can depreciate the part of the property that you're not living in. Now you're going to you unlike a unlike a normal homeowner who when they sell their house at a profit later on gets to take all of the profit without any tax if you if you depreciate the the one half you're going to have to recapture that depreciation and you will pay taxes capital gains taxes on the half of the right. half the gain. So t- talk to your tax advisor about that. The okay, only, great. the only, the only thing that I can, I can say about um, this, that is a negative is that um, living, living that close to someone that you are responsible for, and yet they are not your family. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, the, the, uh, the 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 complaints about the grass not being mowed to the tenants liking or the roof leaking or you know all that stuff is is your problem obviously you are the landlord but you right. you live right there i mean there's no there's like right. there's like no getting away from it and if you if you get someone that um you don't get along with they're they're you know effectively sharing your house with you so y- you need to be you need to be you need to be careful screening tenants whether you're living in the same property with them or not, but uh, I think it becomes particularly important that you you find people who have not who've not been troublesome in their previous places that they have lived. Right? right. You don't. It, it's it's bad right. enough when you get a tenant who's who's dramatic, and you don't live with them. And when you, when you do with live with them, uh, it's a big it's a big problem. Most of the folks that I know that have gone into this arrangement have stayed with it six, seven, eight, nine years and then and then moved out of their half of the house and rented it as well. And and normally as they've left they said, you know, I can't wait to live by myself. You know, I can't I can't wait to live in a place where there's not somebody walking over my head or under my feet all the time. 
Uh, but, but, but in the meantime, I think it can be a really, really good arrangement. Okay, great. Well, thank you. Well, thank you for your call, Tim. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing. It's question and answer week here on Real Life Real Estate, and uh, it's kind of like kind of open, kind of open mic day. Um, we do this on the last Wednesday of every month, just kind of by popular demand. People want to have the opportunity to ask stuff that we don't get to during the normal course of uh, the month, and this is. Um, this is your chance to do that. 877-772-9658 is the number to call. 877-772-9658 if you'd like to call in your question. Or you can send it via email. And the way that you do that is you go to realliferealestate.com. Uh, don't get distracted by the fact that all the podcasts going back years and years and years are there. You can you can look at those later. You can listen to those. You can listen to those anytime. You want to look for the tab that says "Ask a Question" and click on it and send that in, like uh, Tom did. He says you create your own mailing list from public records instead of buying them. Any idea how much more effective your lists are as compared to purchase lists? For example, response rates. I don't even know if I can do that here in Fred Friendstone land. Tom lives in northern Kentucky where public records are a little bit of a challenge to access, in case you're wondering what that was. Uh, but I would still like to know. Um, I, I don't have any way of comparing my response rates with the response rates from purchased lists because I don't purchase lists because a lot of the um, a lot of the lists that I do have are so specialized that you couldn't purchase them. You know when it, when you're when you're cross referencing um, estate properties with out of state owners, you know that sort of thing. That that list is not available commercially. And it is very important that you know internally what your own response rates are and how changing the color of the postcard or changing the postcard to a letter or hand addressing it versus labeling it or sending it, you know, six weeks apart instead of eight weeks apart affects the response rate. But I'm not I'm not obsessed with what are the response rates other people are getting on similar or purchased lists. I would say that in general, if you can create your own list, you are probably going to have a better list than one that you're going to buy. Because I learned a long time ago from from doing mailings for, for classes and conferences and things like that, where they're massive mailings. These aren't you know, we don't. We rarely mail more than a thousand pieces at a time to potential sellers. But for a, for something like the Oreo conference, we might mail seventy thousand pieces of mail. So you get a, a a kind of a broader look at that how all this stuff works. Doing that, um, mailing lists tend to go bad at about a rate of about fifteen percent per year. So if I have a clean list on January 1st, if, if, if everybody on that list is alive, living at that address, um, able to receive mail there, uh, you know, it's a PO boxes, I think go, go fast a lot quicker, hasn't canceled that PO box. 
on December 31st, that list is only going to be about 85% good, unless I've mailed it and cleaned it. So a purchase list, I would think, is going to tend to be older than a list that you would make from current data. So it's bound to have more bad addresses on it, I would think, than one that you would create yourself. But um, as you say, you live in Fred Flintstone land. And if I lived in northern Kentucky and I was determined that that was where I was going to invest, I would probably be buying every list I could get my hands on because it is just very difficult to get data there. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing, um, question and answer week on Real Life Real Estate. 877-772-9658 is the phone number. You can also send an email. You just have to go to realliferealestate.com and click the Ask a Question button and it will it will come forward to us via email here. And I'm going to go back into the archive to my last archived question here. Uh, which is not a question. As it turns out, it is a response from a listener that I had already answered a question for who is giving me a link that I asked for. <laughs> and then he says, I've snickered. I've submitted a few questions to you over the years. I've always snickered when I post that there's no required field to tell you where the person is from. You will lament and scold, but they do not include it. Tisk tisk. tell your web guy to get on that. Uh, my web guy's a web girl, and if she's listening, she needs to get on that because, yeah, I guess I can't, you know, it'd be better if uh, we people actually had to say way that, where they were writing from, and it is helpful uh, when you all do that because sometimes the question, the, the answer to the question changes depending on where you are. 877 or go to com and submit your question that way. We will be back right after this. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I am your host, Vina Jones-Cox. You can always stay in touch with Real Life Real Estate through our website at realliferealestate.com. There's so much great stuff there. There's the podcasts of all of our prior shows. There are uh, often special offers up for real life real estate listeners. Um, there are there's the opportunity to give me your email address and let me send you information every week. And the information will be what's coming on on the show, so you don't miss it. Uh, usually there's a blog post, uh, this week, it was the four things that I tell all new investors and there's often other neat stuff going on, webinars, things like that. So that's at realliferealestate.com. And of course you can also go there and post questions for question and answer day to day. Um, I came across an interesting article that, uh, was, or was it really a, a more of a white paper sort of thing? published by the Center for NYC Neighborhoods, which I haven't done a lot of research on this organization, but I'm going to say that they are a um, probably nonprofit housing type organization. And I'm going to, I'm going to read a piece of this. You can look it up. It's, it's called uh, flipping analysis. You can Google that flipping analysis. It says flipping that's, in this case, they're referring to retailing, buying, fixing, and selling houses, 
reduces the quantity of affordable homeownership opportunities on the market by moving homes to significantly higher price points. The medium initial purchase price of flips in Brooklyn in 2015 was affordable to families making $75,000 for a family of three. The significantly inflated median resale price was affordable to families making about $125,000. That means that while a moderate income family could afford many of these opportunities before they were purchased by a flipper, the homes are unaffordable by the time they are reintroduced to the market only months later, shrinking the stock of affordable home ownership opportunities in the city. What do you what do you what do you think of that, listeners? What do you think of the idea that buying, fixing, and selling properties hurts communities? by shrinking the opportunities for affordable housing. Listening listening to that very scary term that we always have to, whenever we hear this word, we have to be aware, and that is median house price. What's, what's really going on when a flipper buys a house and then sells it at a greatly increased price? Is it really reducing ownership opportunities in a neighborhood? Has that been your experience? Because the the paper goes on to explain how this sort of um, flipping can and should be limited by law through something that they call an anti-speculation tax, which basically means you're only allowed to earn a certain amount of money flipping a house, which will hopefully make it um, unattractive for you to, let me repeat, buy, fix, and sell a property. They want to. They want to. They want to tax you a lot if you do that within a year, and a little bit less if you do it within two years, and a little bit less in three years, and then after five years. After five years, you're allowed to make your money. The Center for New York City Neighborhoods has decided that five years is an okay period of time over which to make this money, but one is not. Uh, they're also talking about a citywide cease and desist zone where you're not allowed to let people know that you buy houses in those areas. Um, talking about doing some foreclosure prevention counseling with some of the local owners, which is, oh, that's always a good idea. Um, What do you think? Is this sound, does this sound reasonable to you? Does it sound accurate that you are taking away people's opportunities by buying, fixing, and selling houses? While you think about that, I'm going to go to my inbox here and Uh, answer a question that I just got from Lori. As soon as I find it again, it was right here. Lori had a question about, ah, here it is, about mindset. She says, what would you recommend to a student in order to get their mind back in the game? My husband has had some serious health issues and now I'm ready to get back at it and I'm having trouble focusing. Thank you and all that you do, Lori. You're very welcome, Lori. I enjoy it. And of course, you know, my gig here as a volunteer public radio host is extremely highly paid. So Mike, Mike agrees. Mike, it's twice what I do. (laughs) Um, Yeah, that's, that is a wonderful question, Lori, because as you, as you know, because you've already been to this rodeo once, uh, mindset is a huge piece of this. And uh, I know when you get, when you kind of get distracted, especially when it's, you know, something as important as a family member's health it can be sort of, it's sort of like starting all over again in a way. Like I know what I'm supposed to be doing, but I can't get my brain around what to do right now. So let me recommend a couple of things. Number one, you need to sit down and you need to rewrite your vision statement. Why are you doing this? 
What is the purpose? It's not so that Lori can work on real estate every day. There's something bigger. There's something about life and family and things that you want to do. And there's, there's something, something that, that, you know, is really going to inspire you. And you need to write that down again. I know you probably already did this once when you first got started, but things may have changed with the health issues. So, you know, if you, what do they say? Your why has to make you cry. So let's start, start out by writing that down. You know, what is the why? Not the goals, not I want to do 50 deals this year, but why do I want to, you know, what, how is my life going to be different when all this works? And then every morning, read that out loud would be preferable, but every morning read it. And of course the, the whole mindset thing is an, it's an ongoing process. It's not I'm going to, oh, I'm going to recommend that you listen to such and such an audio and then you're going to be fixed. It's every day, every day you got to spend some time on your mindset, you know, meditating. Um, YouTube is like my favorite. <laughs> Any, anything you want in the way of, of motivational mindset, success, uh, productivity type stuff is on YouTube. And you just got to, you know, subscribe to a few of those channels. And uh, I spend about 10 to 15 minutes every morning minimum uh, listening to that sort of thing. And of course, the other thing, Lori, is you take care of you. Okay, take care of yourself. You cannot do this effectively if you have, you know, if you're tired all the time, because you're not eating right, and you don't work out like you should. And you know, you've got this other thing to worry about with your husband. So first thing in the day, vision, mindset, take care of Lori, and the rest of the day will take care of itself. Thank you very much for your question. Let's go to line one and talk to Anna in Cincinnati. Anna, welcome to Real Life Real Estate. Hi, how are you doing, Vina? I'm good, Anna. How are you? Good. I just had a comment about your article about the rehabbers. And I think the author of the article has never been in a house that a rehabber buys. The rehabber buys the stuff no one else will buy because they got to get it really cheap. Mm-hmm. So it's the stuff with all the, you know, cat urine or cracks in the basement or some other big problem that the young buyers are not going to be able to handle. And that's exactly why this whole thing about, well, the median house price that of, of a property that sells is this, and then the median house price that a flipper sells is this, is so misleading because it assumes that all you know all properties are basically the same that if i if i have a $250,000 house that every house like it around it is a $250,000 house and y- you hit the nail on the head the rehabber doesn't buy the one that can be lived in <laughs> he, buys, he buys the one that they can't make enough money if they do that well right and and he doesn't he doesn't buy the property that that is actually purchasable by somebody who is a, who's a typical you know first time homebuyer type person because these properties won't pass inspection. They even if they will, even if they're what we call ugly but livable, um, the the first time homebuyer can afford the down payment, the closing costs, but then he can't afford to go in and, and do what the house needs, right? So yeah it, it, this is just this is just it's not the they're, they're comparing apples and oranges they're saying well there's these nine two hundred fifty thousand dollar houses and a rehabber bought one and put it back on the market at 375 and that's not what happened <laughs> what happened was he bought one at 150 because it had no roof 
(laughs) (laughs) And it was crawling with mold, and, you know, the city was getting ready to tear it down, and there was going to be no house there at all. And then he spent he spent his own money or risked his own credit. He employed people. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm reading this article and I'm like, oh, sorry, all you rehabbers who were hoping for that job. <laughs> Their job doesn't exist anymore because we're going to keep people from rehabbing in our neighborhoods. And, you know, typically homeowners cannot and will not renovate properties to the level that a rehabber will and anytime you start saying well let's 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 limit let's limit these activities let's limit the amount of money that somebody can make because it's bad that they're making so much money what you're basically doing is taking away housing choice because this this idea that people can afford the $250,000 house but the 375 house is unaffordable begs the question of then who's buying it you know? Yeah, rehabber's not going to do it unless somebody <laughs> buys it. Well, and if they don't, if he, if nobody wants, if nobody buys it, you know what the rehabber has to do? Lower his price to two fifty. That's it's called the market, you know. And it, this this usually, you know, you you know perfectly well the the division is not that big. If if a, if a if an unrehab sort of dated house will sell for two fifty, the really nicely rehabbed one will sell for two ninety nine. Right? It's not going to sell for three seventy five. And what about the first-time homebuyers who, they like the area, but they want something that's closer to new, right? They want something that they're not going to have to worry about for the next 20 years. Everything's everything's fixed. Everything's just been redone. Are you telling them, no, sorry, you have to live in the worn-out house because we don't like it that rehabbers are making money? And I don't think the author understands all the risk that the rehab, the rehabber may make money on this house, but on the next one may not. Because of some are some unknown problem rears its ugly head. All true, but you know what? I am tired of arguing that I get to make money because I take risk. I get to make money because I know what I'm doing. I get to make money because I've trained myself to go out and find bargain properties and do the things to them that homeowners want done, and then to list them with the right people and guide the homeowners through the process. It's you know if if if. If my knowledge, if it's all knowledge and no risk, guess what? They still don't get to tell me that I don't get to make money. As, <laughs> if I if I am if I am providing services that other people want, I am not lying, cheating, or stealing to do that. And the service that I'm providing is a legal one. What what right does this organization or anybody else have to say? Well, you are making too much money. Why does no one ever say this? You hear these stories about somebody that walks into a yard sale and they buy a Rembrandt for 10 bucks, and then they, you know, it's at Sotheby's two months later for $10 million, and you never hear anybody saying, oh my God, that guy cheated that, but he knew it was a Rembrandt. He should not, he should have offered that, that lady $9 million because he knew it was worth $10 million and he made too much money. Nobody ever says that about that sort of thing, but they say it about houses. Why is that? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> you know the guy. The guy. The guy knew. The guy was an art expert. He knew what a Rembrandt was. He saw a bargain. It was for sale. The the seller agreed to sell at that price, and you know he made himself a great deal. And people don't get all bent out of shape and try and pass laws about it. But here in the real estate yeah. business, it's always let's have another law. So thank you for the opportunity to um, rant, Anna, and <laughs> <All right. laughs> for your for your comments, which are of course exactly. Correct. And uh, we need to take a quick break. But you're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing. If you have any questions or comments, 
give us your give us a call at 877-772-9658 or send an email just go to realliferealestate.com Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I am your host, Vina Jones-Cox. It is question and answer week here on Real Life Real Estate. So any questions that you have about landlording, retailing, wholesaling, lease options, buying, selling, whatever you like, give us a call at 877-772-9658 or send an email. You can do that by going to the website at realliferealestate.com and it'll all be pretty self-explanatory after that. Uh, received a an email here from Michael who I believe, this is Michael, I'm thinking it is, is in the Pennsylvania, close to Ohio area. Um, He says, uh, people are frustrated that real estate is so expensive relative to incomes in some hot cities. You may want to mention how extraordinarily restrictive zoning suppresses the number of units available. Easing zoning to encourage new construction would do more to combat the affordability crisis in New York City than any regulation or tax program ever would. Well, yeah, and ditto San Francisco and ditto Seattle and ditto Portland. I mean, all of these places where they're literally considering passing laws to keep people from converting their their, uh, three-family homes into single families, even though it's their house and they want to live there. They are considering... Um, passing anti-flipping taxes. They are um, cons- uh, rent control is always a sign that a market has gotten very heated up, and people are so passionate about this. I got a uh, I got an email from somebody about um, a, a law that they're considering in Vancouver to get this keep Chinese people from buying properties in Vancouver. Why? Because they, the Chinese people, are coming in with their cash money and they are buying up properties in an already overheated market and they are pushing prices up and pushing rents up and it's just terrible and the question that I was asked is you know what are you what are you seeing this in American cities of course we're seeing it in American cities because every law you make to restrict the market ends up having an unexpected side effect on the people that it was supposed to protect so if you live in a city where what's really important to you is that you have unobstructed views of the bay and that things you know that that that, that buildings not be very tall and that um uh people people meet certain requirements for you know greenness when they're building and so on and then you wonder why the demand is bigger than the supply because you've restricted the supply I I don't know what to say to you I mean it's it, it when an area and i'm talking about san francisco here is so hot that people don't rent rooms they rent bunk beds in rooms by the month you got to ask yourself the question why isn't somebody building housing i mean if 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 you can get $700 for a bunk bed that's one of four in a bedroom and it's a three-bedroom house, so you're bringing in literally, you know, almost $10,000 a month in rent. It seems like it might be logical to build some new apartments for people. Why can't they do that? Well, San Francisco has a has a basic geological and geographical problem, which was they're bounded by water on three sides and they have earthquakes. But 
in addition to that, they have incredibly they have incredibly extensive zoning laws and uh, hard to get building permits, hard to get things approved, and that's why. And 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 the solution is not try and try and deal with the demand by reducing the supply, which is what's already happened, or by punishing the people who have the supply by saying, well, we know you can get $10,000 a month for your house, but you're not allowed to. Because that just, that just doesn't work. And also, I hate to toss around the word un-American, but it's un-American. So yeah, you want more housing? Ease up on housing restrictions. And don't, nobody, nobody send me a song Send me an email singing the song of, well, yeah, but we got to keep these evil landlords under control. There's there's laws in place about safe and habitable housing and creating bunches of additional laws to say, well, but, you know, you can't you can actually make money on your housing is not that that's silly. Landlords aren't evil. Some landlords are bad landlords, but landlords on the whole aren't evil and neither is making money. Uh, let's see, got another response to the anti-flipping thing. And let me see if I can read this one out loud. Um, let's see, I'm going to leave out the first sentence and say, uh, why don't these folks who want to keep us from flipping houses go fund some new affordable housing themselves if it's so important to them? It opens up new housing, and if too much comes on the market, the equilibrium price will drop. It's called supply and demand. Yes, all true. And um, Tom, they are very willing to build more affordable housing. It's just they they also want to use your money to do that. That's what you know, taxation and spreading the wealth and all that stuff is for. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing. Got about five minutes left in the program, and it's question and answer week. If you have a question, you better call it in because I'm thinking that at this point it might not get here uh, by email. 877 772 9658 is the number to call, and uh, any questions that you have are. Um, perfectly good questions uh, for the purposes of today because it's open mic day. Uh, I have a question here from Jason in Nashville who says that he got uh, he bought bought some magnetic signs for his truck, got a call 12 hours later uh, from somebody who definitely wants to sell their house. It is absolutely a deal. The issue is he doesn't have anywhere to go. <laughs> Once they put it under contract, they want to move, but they don't have a new place picked out, but they are very motivated to sell. How would you handle this contract? Would you put it under contract for an extended period uh, with a contingency that the, that says if you haven't found a home in 60 days, the contract will be void? Actually, Jason, I would do exactly the opposite of what I think you are um proposing here I would I would put it under contract and try and get it closed as soon as possible and just give the sellers an extended period a reasonable extended period of time to move um, this is becoming very common right now with the market being as as slim as it is in terms of inventory that people are asking for and getting 30 to 60 days past the closing to move. Now here is, and I'm, I'm, I'm telling you this from years of experience of doing this both the right way and the wrong way. 
it tends to be the case with holdover sellers that if they can't get out by the time they have said they were going to get out, they don't they don't feel like it's a huge rush because after all, they're not paying anything. Right? It's your it's your house, you are paying the taxes, insurance, etc. So what I do now is I put a clause and with their, I mean, talk to them about this first and you don't just throw this down in front of somebody. You talk to them about it first. You say, look, how, how long do you think it'll reasonably take you to move? 60 days. All right. I'm willing to let you stay for 60 days. We'll just put that right in the contract. But after 60 days, we're getting into a situation where I am not able to fix the property. I'm not able to get it rented. Eventually it's going to be fall and it's going to be hard to get it fixed and sold. So can we agree that after 60 days, if you have to keep staying, that you can pay a reasonable rent going forward? Now, Jason, if your intention is to wholesale this property, that means, of course, that you're going to be looking for a particular kind of buyer who is willing to put a bunch of money into the property and risk that he still has not been able to do what he would like to do with it 90 or 120 days from now, but he's getting monthly rent. So don't don't say, don't say, look, if you don't, if you haven't moved in 60 days, we're voiding the contract. I would, I would do it the other way around. I'd say, let's close in 30 days. I'll give you another 30 after that. Or even maybe close in 30. I'll give you 45 after that. But after that, you know, we need, we need to have a lease that says starting some date, July 1st, something like that. You're going to start paying this reasonable amount, amount of rent. And you're going to be a month to month tenant because in that case, if they stay for a really, really long time and you don't want them anymore, you can evict them. Really hard to evict somebody out of what used to be their house when you don't have a lease for them. Ask me how I know that sometime, Jason. Real life real estate investing. It has been a great Q&A week. Thank you to all of the folks who called in and wrote in. Um, next week, I believe we've got a very special show that you are going to want to make sure that you are tuned into because there's going to be an offer there that is going to last exactly 55 minutes after which, uh, it will no longer be available. That's all I'm telling you about it. So be back next week for more information to put you on the path to financial independence. Until then, happy investing. Happy investing.